Okay, I want to talk today about the very first person that Elon Musk should fire, like the day he acquires Twitter. The first moment of the first day, this guy has got to just, this guy has got to be booted from, well, he's probably not even working at Twitter headquarters, right? Because they're all working remote. Um, But maybe he should get, he should get a rude email from Elon Musk then on the very first minute of the very first day that Elon owns Twitter, and he should be absolutely fired. And The reason that he should be fired, we actually have to back up just a little bit and look at the update. So yesterday's episode, we talked about monkeypox. Should you be scared of monkeypox? Should you not be scared of monkeypox and why? And there's been three updates that have happened since yesterday about monkeypox that show us exactly why this person should be the first person that Elon should fire when he acquires Twitter. Let's dig into that. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. things that are really important to me online are safety and privacy. That's why like Incognito, thousands of companies are collecting, aggregating, and trading your personal data without you knowing anything about it. Maybe you subscribed for a free newsletter, and shortly after you started receiving lots of spam from unknown senders. Creepy, right? The good news is you have the right to request data brokers to delete what information they have about you and protect your privacy. The bad news is, is it would take years to do it manually. The best news is Incogni can do the messy work for you automatically. Incogni helps you protect your privacy and take your personal data off the market by reaching out to data brokers on your behalf, requesting your personal data removal and dealing with their objections. Now, most often these data brokers hold your name, your email address, your home address, your phone number, the names of your relatives even, your social security number, your employment history, your shopping habits. I told you it was creepy. That's why you need Incogni. The first 100 people to use my URL, which is incogni.com slash Liz Wheeler, and use my promo code, Liz Wheeler, get 20% off Incogni. Protect your privacy today. Go to incogni.com slash Liz Wheeler and use code Liz Wheeler to take your personal data off the market. Today's video is sponsored by Incogni. Okay, so yesterday we asked the question, should we be scared of monkeypox? Should we not be scared of monkeypox? And the answer is no, we shouldn't be scared of monkeypox, but also yes, we should. Uh, We personally don't, probably don't need to be scared of monkeypox unless we're going to gay orgies, unless we're going to fetish festivals like the super spreader event in Belgium. We don't need to be scared of it because it requires very close contact for transmission to happen. It's not, there's, it's not spread by aerosols. Very close contact Um, is what's required for you to contract this, which means that sexual activity is one of the primary drivers of transmission. And that it, it, it makes sense. You can, you can see the pattern here because around the world, the people who are contracting it right now are typically gay men or bisexual men, men who are having sex with other men. And the reason that this is somewhat contained to the gay community is because there was an 80,000 person gay pride and fetish festival that was held in Belgium. And that was that was the super spreader event. That's where patient zero was. And it disseminated through this, this close contact, maybe the sexual activity at this fetish festival, this gay and fetish festival. And that's why people around the world are, are getting it. So it is determinant. Your, your risk of contracting this virus is somewhat determined by um, your behavior your behavior. If you're not engaging in gay sex, if you're not engaging in promiscuous sex, if you're not in close contact, very close contact with someone who has monkeypox, then you are not at high risk of contracting this. So in that in that sense, no, we shouldn't be scared of monkeypox. Unlike what Joe Biden says when he said everyone should be concerned. Well, not every, not really everyone. The second part of this is, yes, we should be scared of monkeypox in 
relation to how governments, how our politicians, how our public health authorities and public health authorities around the world react to to this virus. Uh, We know that Joe Biden already bought 13 million doses of the smallpox, monkeypox vaccine after two people, a whopping two people in the United States contracted monkeypox and he spent all these millions, these over $100 million, $119 million on 13 million doses of this vaccine. So that's what we talked about yesterday. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back, listen to it for all the details um, because you're going to hear COVID 2.0. You're going to hear this narrative from the left that's going to mirror COVID that there's going to be millions, hundreds of millions of people are going to die. Everyone's at risk, lockdown, mask up, all these terrible things that didn't work to stop COVID. The public health establishment is going to try to do that again with monkeypox. Get the facts, know how to counter this. But three things have happened since yesterday's episode that are, are updates in, in this same sphere, but also crossover into big tech and how big tech censors us. So the first thing that happened is Dr. Tedros. He's the current head of the World Health Organization. He has been reelected to his position. His term was about to expire and he was reelected to another five-year term. Now, this is a bad thing because Dr. Tedros played a huge role in um, in encouraging masking, encouraging countries to lock down, encouraging countries to force vaccines on their population. And he, the World Health Organization, under the direction of Dr. Tedros, was a huge driver of disinformation about China at the beginning of the outbreak of COVID-19. It, w- it was Dr. Tedros and the World Health Organization that were praising how the Chinese handled this outbreak. They were one of the biggest perpetuators of the narrative that we now know is false, that, that COVID-19 could, couldn't have come from a lab in China, said Dr. Tedros, couldn't have come from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And a lab leak theory for this virus is absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's a hard no from the World Health Organization. We now know most people who are being honest with themselves think that there's a very high likelihood that this virus was somehow at least tampered with using gain-of-function, dangerous experiments to make, to juice up a virus and make it more transmissible between human beings, that this happened at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Tedros denied all this and told everyone not to believe it. Why? Because he's bought off. Tedros is bought off by the Chinese Communist Party. In fact, the Chinese have essentially worked behind the scenes to elevate Tedros to the position that he's in now. I'm not talking about the re-election. I'm talking about before that. He was their their chosen person. He was their pawn. He he is their parrot. He's bought off by the Chinese communists. So bad news is that he's been re-elected to this position at the World Health Organization for five more years. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the vaccine that Biden bought 13 million doses of, it's called the Gyaneos vaccine. And this vaccine is, we're being told it has 85% efficacy against monkeypox, even though it was designed for smallpox. But what we're not being told is, are there side effects? Is it safe? We know it's approved, but is it actually safe? What are the side effects? How dangerous is it? What, what, what's the risk benefit analysis? Because that's what we all should do when, that's what I do when I'm analyzing whether to take a drug or whether to take a vaccine. I say, well, what's my risk of the ailment? What's my risk of side effects or negative repercussions from, from what's supposed to be the treatment or the prophylactic? And we're not being told. There's no headlines that are talking about the side effects. However, there are doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough. He's one of the predominant cardiologists in our country. You, I'm sure, remember him because he was the one who went viral on Joe Rogan talking about the problems with the COVID vaccine. I, I interviewed Dr. Peter McCullough. You can, you can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Locals. And Dr. Peter McCullough said, I asked him directly, is there anybody 
who is at high enough risk of COVID-19 that that risk justifies the side effect profile of the COVID vaccine. I highly recommend that you go to YouTube or go to Locals, um, go to Rumble and listen to his entire answer on Rumble. I'm sure that, 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 that part of the answer had to be censored on YouTube. So go to my Rumble channel to listen to that. He tweeted about the smallpox monkeypox vaccine. This is what he said, quote, getting ahead of wide usage on safety, the gyneos smallpox monkeypox live attenuated caused 18% plus troponin. In this case, heart damage did not resolve on following follow-up MRI. Targets for ring inoculation after, after pox exposure should be clearly informed of heart damage with these products. So what is he saying? He's saying that there's significant heart damage that happens as a result of this particular smallpox monkeypox vaccine, even though it's approved, there's significant heart damage that that can be and is oftentimes inflicted. It's not a, a quick resolving ailment. It, it shows up in follow-up appointments and that to, to give informed consent, doctors are always supposed to make sure they have informed consent from their patients before there's any kind of procedure that occurs or any medication that, that a patient intakes, doctors can't just say, oh, we recommend this. They have to tell their patients what the negative side effects could be so that a patient can be fully informed before they give that, that informed consent. But if we're not, if the public health establishment, politicians are not portraying this vaccine with both maybe the advantages that it's 85, it has 85% efficacy against monkeypox or so they say, if they're not presenting that hand in hand with, but you should know that it causes heart problems in X amount of people and that those heart problems don't look like they resolve in the follow-up MRIs, then a patient cannot give informed consent because they're not fully informed. That's the second, the second update that's happened. The third update that's happened is the lab experiments, right? The lab experiments that happen in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. We know what happened with COVID-19. We know that the bat lady um, got money indirectly from Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci at the NIH gave a grant to Peter Daszak at EcoHealth Alliance who subcontracted this gain-of-function experimentation at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And Dr. Xi, the bat lady, conducted these experiments. Those experiments juiced up the virus, made it more lethal, more transmissible between human beings. It turns out that these same type of experiments have been conducted on the monkeypox virus at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. There was a study that was published um, that was published in a journal called Virologica Sinica. And the, the authors of this, of this article in this, in, this, um, in this journal, the authors are the folks at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, including Dr. including Dr. Xi's counterparts. This is what the title of the research article is. Efficient assembly of a large fragment of monkeypox virus genome as a qPCR template using dual selection-based transformation-associated recombination. Okay, so that's a lot. That's a big mouthful of scientific words. This, by the way, was published just a few months ago, published just a few months ago. And one of the key laboratories cited here, the, 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 the group of scientists that wrote this were from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So efficient assembly of a large fragment of monkeypox virus genome as a qPCR template using dual selection-based transformation-associated recombination. So the only part of that, the only words here that we really need to understand are that the monkeypox, it was the monkeypox virus, and they were assembling the genome of the monkeypox virus, the DNA, and they were, they were assembling a template of the DNA of the monkeypox virus using a particular 
um, a particular procedure called transformation association recombination, okay? T-A-R is how that's sometimes abbreviated. Transformation associated recombination. Okay, so really the only, the only critical part to, to this study or this, this research paper is scroll on down to page five. At the bottom of page five, this sentence. It's about this T-A-R procedure that they use. It says, however, this DNA assembly tool applied in virological research could also raise potential security concerns especially when the assembled product contains a full set of genetic material that can be recovered into a contagious pathogen. The DNA assembly tool applied in this research could raise potential security concerns. That's a pretty, that's a pretty big deal here. A pretty big deal because we know, I mean, based on the title, the actual title of this study or the title of this article is efficient assembly of a large fragment of monkeypox virus genome as a qPCR template using dual selection based transformation associated recombination, that TAR procedure. And that TAR procedure can raise potential security concerns because it can make a pathogen contagious. So these, these three things have have happened since yesterday's episode. Tedros was reelected to the World Health Organization. This there's there's been information that has come out about the monkeypox smallpox vaccine and in order to have informed consent um we need to know both both what it does and what it might hurt. And then we have evidence that the monkeypox virus or a monkeypox virus has indeed been tampered with at the Wuhan Institute of Virology with a procedure that can actually juice up virus, a, a, a similarity to gain of function research where a virus is, is made more transmissible or more deadly for humans if they are to contract it. Maybe it even enables it to be contracted by human beings. Now, let's tie into the person that Elon Musk should fire the moment, the day he acquires Twitter, because under Twitter's new misinformation and disinformation policy, we may not be able to have the conversation that we're having on Twitter. It may be disallowed. We may not be able to sit down together and talk about lab experiments, talk about monkeypox virus experiments that might actually juice up the virus or make it more dangerous. We might not be able to talk about the side effects of the smallpox monkeypox vaccine. We may not be able to criticize the World Health Organization or more importantly, contradict them because Twitter just rolled out new policies regarding what they call public health emergencies. And these, these new standards are even stricter than the standards they imposed on us um, during COVID. Now, I like Genucel because it works. How old does your mirror say you are? Ladies and gentlemen, you can delay this question for five, 10, even 15 years with a new ultra retinol serum from Genucel. Marina from Fort Lauderdale, Florida loved it so much. Let me read to you what she says. She says, great product. My skin loves it. I've spent more money on creams over the years, enough to pay off my house. Just kidding, she writes, but it feels like that. This product has changed my life like no other. Now, Marina's flying high with Genucel's new ultra retinol serum with hyaluronic acid. This technological wonder hydrates your skin at a cellular level, and it builds on this deep moisture with the incredible anti-wrinkle effects of phytoretinol. So go to genucel.com right now for up to 50% off the brand new Ultra Retinol Serum. You'll be amazed with the results or you can get your money back. You will also get Genucel's immediate effects for results in 12 hours or left. It's free with your order. Just go to genucel.com slash Liz. You have to use my URL for this, genucel.com slash 
Liz. Free express shipping, free returns, exquisite customer service. Go to genucel.com slash Liz. G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Liz. Okay, so Twitter rolled out a new disinformation policy and it was announced um, it was announced late last week, and I want to read exactly what the Twitter spokesperson who announced this, the head of safety and integrity at Twitter, tweeted in order to make this announcement. He said, we're focused on ensuring people have access to credible information when it matters most. Today, we are introducing a new crisis misinformation policy to help protect the conversation on Twitter, starting with a focus on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, this is different, by the way than their other misinformation policy, because this one has to do with events as they unfold, a crisis misinformation policy. Keep that in mind. He said, especially during moments of crisis, misleading claims can go viral while the truth is still asleep. To help address these dynamics, we won't amplify or recommend potentially misleading content about crises as soon as we find credible evidence a claim may be misleading. Oh, it may be misleading. Not definitive proof that it is, but it may be misleading. And they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna shadow ban you. He says, for harmful, misleading claims that have been debunked by multiple authoritative sources, we'll prioritize placing them behind a prominent warning message. He shows a screenshot of the warning message. Um, he then says, by the way, don't you wonder who his authoritative sources are? Places maybe like the World Health Organization, but we'll get to that in a moment. He says, our approach to mitigating the effects of harmful misinformation continues to move behind the leave up, take down binary of moderation. We've seen that not amplifying harmful content can reduce its spread by 30 to 50%. We'll continue to invest in these interventions going forward. So think about that for a second. Before we even get into the authoritative sources or how this is going to be applied, think about the impact of Twitter's algorithm. If, if this guy from Twitter is admitting that when they shadow ban a, a source of information, which means shadow banning a tweet, which means shadow banning your words, which means shadow banning you, it can reduce its dissemination by 30 to 50%. That's how powerful the Twitter algorithm is. It's not a free market. It's not a meritocracy. 30 to 50% is how effective their, their algorithm deliberately censoring information that they don't like is. So he includes in, in his tweet thread a link to, um, to Twitter's, at, Twitter's official announcement on their blog. And this is what they say. This is how we know what type of event they will apply these new crisis misinformation policies to. Twitter says, around the world, People use Twitter to find reliable information in real time. During periods of crisis, such as situations of armed conflict, public health emergencies, bing, 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 that's the one I care about, and large-scale natural disasters, access to credible, authoritative information and resources is all the more critical. Today, we are introducing our crisis misinformation policy, a global policy that will guide our efforts to elevate credible, authoritative information and will help to ensure viral misinformation isn't amplified or recommended by us during crises. In times of crisis, misleading information can undermine public trust and cause further harm to already vulnerable communities. So I'm sorry, I have to interrupt this for a second. There are so many euphemisms in this announcement. It, it's making my skin crawl here. So first of all, if this is a global policy and they're only going to rely on authoritative sources, who exactly are these sources? Does Twitter consider only the World Health Organization to be an authoritative source? Do they consider the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, since that's a global organization, to be an authoritative source? Maybe, do they, do they consider the Chinese communists to be an authoritative source? Because the Chinese communists certainly think they know about COVID more than any other country in the world. Who exactly are these authoritative sources? And what happens if on a global scale, a so-called authoritative source contradicts a dictatorship like China? What if, the, what if the United States, the CDC at the United States contradicts the World Health Organization or the Chinese Communist Party? 
What happens? Who's the authoritative source? This is so incredibly creepy. It's also, it's also really controlling and manipulative because of this phrase. Misleading information can undermine public trust. So we know what they mean by that phrase. They mean when they say undermine public trust, it means if you have any questions about the vaccine that we want you to take, then you, the public, aren't trusting us. You are requiring information and data that we don't want you to have. We will tell you what you need to know. And therefore, what you need to know will inform your decision whether to get this vaccine. And of course, the only choice based on our information will be for you to get it. That's what they actually mean by that phrase. So as you can see, this is very creepy, very draconian, very, very anti-free speech, but anti-freedom in general. They say, alongside our existing work to make reliable information more accessible during crisis events, this new approach will help to slow the spread by us of the most visible misleading content, particularly that which could lead to severe harms. Now, of course, in in Twitter's world, in in Twitter's mind, uh, the, the philosophy of those who are writing this nonsense at Twitter, not getting the vaccine or opposing lockdowns is causing other people severe harms. So this is just the ideological strategy that Twitter has now harnessed in order to to stop real information, true information, if it contradicts the narrative of places like the CDC or Fauci or the Biden administration or the UN or the World Health Organization or maybe even the Chinese communists about public health emergencies. So again, again, this type of algorithmic manipulation impacts what you're saying It can stifle what you're saying by up to 50% reach. That's really, really significant. So then then we fast forward to, okay, so the person that introduced this, the Twitter head of safety and integrity, who is this? Who is the one announcing this? Who is this guy? This guy is named Yoel Roth. Yoel Roth is not new to his role of censorship at Twitter. I mean, the name of his position, Twitter head of safety and integrity is so vague, so bland that it, I mean, so euphemistic, right? Um, Yoel Roth is the exact same person who censored the New York Post's story about Hunter Biden in the days leading up to the 2020 presidential election. The very same person. You remember, we couldn't even send the link to that New York Post story in our direct messages to each other. It blocked us from copying and pasting a URL and sending it to each other, let alone talking about it, saying the phrase Hunter Biden laptop, posting a link to the story for people to read the reporting for themselves. Something like 30% of Democrats who voted for Joe Biden said they wouldn't have voted for Joe Biden had they known the story about Hunter Biden's laptop was true. Yoel Roth was instrumental in, not just instrumental, he was the driving force behind Twitter's censorship of this story. And when he testified to the Federal Election Commission about this censorship, whether this was meddling in the election, whether it was fair or unfair, the justification that he gave for why he, on behalf of Twitter, censored this story is he said U.S. intelligent officials, he didn't say who, he didn't say if they were active or inactive, he didn't say if this was in an official capacity by officials in in the administration or not. He said U.S. officials shared what he called rumors that Joe Biden would be the target of a hack, that Hunter Biden would be the target of a hack. So 
this vague idea of U.S. intel officials. We know how corrupt the FBI is. We know how corrupt the CIA is. We know how corrupt the DOJ is. We know, I mean, these organizations, these alphabet soup organizations, these intel agencies are the same that staged not one, but two attempts to get the president of the United States impeached. First, we had Peter Strzok and Lisa Page at the FBI. We had the entrapment of Michael Flynn. We had the DOJ colluding with Fusion GPS. We had that whole Russia collusion coup attempt. And then, then we had the Ukraine impeachment. We had this, this so-called whistleblower from the National Security Council pretend that President Trump had done something corrupt in his conversation with, ironically, Zelensky from Ukraine, um, we all saw the readout of that call, and it, it wasn't illegal at all. In fact, it, it was very far from illegal. This so-called whistleblower who made it seem like President Trump had committed an impeachable offense simply disagreed with Trump on policy. But he caused the impeachment of a president of the United States. So when, when Yul Roth testifies to the Federal Election Commission that U.S. intel officials shared rumors that Biden might be hacked, my, the first thing that I think is, oh, U.S. intel officials there's a credible bunch. There's, there's people that are honest and full of integrity and don't have any ulterior motive or, or leftist agenda. They shared rumors. It wasn't even concrete intelligence. It wasn't even proof or evidence. Just rumors that Biden might be hacked. He would be the target of a hack. And so Twitter, Yul Roth on behalf of Twitter, used Twitter's hacked materials policy as justification for stifling the Hunter Biden laptop story. He said, we don't allow hacked materials to be published, even though you'll remember the laptop wasn't hacked. The laptop was taken by Hunter Biden to the laptop repair shop. He never picked it up ever. And therefore it became the property of the shop owner who looked at it, saw what was on it and reached out to, reached out to uh, Giuliani, reached out to law enforcement, turned this in, make, made this public. He was allowed, it was his property because Hunter Biden never picked it up. That's not hacked materials. That's not hacking. That's Hunter Biden being a crackhead and recording himself doing drugs, recording himself having sex, recording his emails where he conducted this shady business abroad, used the position of his father in the Obama administration, vice president of the United States to make money on the Biden name to sell access to his father. And his father knew about it and was involved based on the emails we saw on the Hunter Biden laptop, not hacked materials. But Yul Roth, based on these rumors from these intel officials, stifled that story. This same guy, this same guy. Not only did he actively impact the outcome of a presidential election in an unfair way, he's also insanely biased. If you look at his own personal Twitter feed, these are a couple of the tweets that uh, he has posted in the past few years. On November 8th of 2016, this is what Yoel Roth tweeted. He said, I'm just saying, we fly over those states that voted for a racist tangerine for a reason. We fly over those states that voted for a racist tangerine for a reason. He's dismissing half the country. I mean, this is the same as the basket of deplorables. He's dismissing half the country because the Midwest and the South are typically Republican. They're known as flyover states, but that's an endearing comment for most people. But no, no, Yul Roth wants them to be dismissed. He says, we fly over them, we ignore them for a reason because they voted for someone we don't want in office. This is, by the way, one of the biggest arguments for in favor of the Electoral College because this is how leftists actually think. They actually want the middle of the country, completely dismissed because of the politics of the people that live in that country. That's one tweet. Then on January 22nd of 2017, this is what Yul Roth tweeted. He says, yes, that person in the pink hat, he's talking about the Women's March, you remember the pink hats, 
Yes, that person in the pink hat is clearly a bigger threat to your brand of feminism than actual Nazis in the White House. He's calling Trump an actual Nazi, which is the same as calling you a Nazi or me a Nazi, because it is the people who voted for the president who put the president in the White House. The president's representing the votes of the people. Actual Nazis in the White House. This is, this is the individual, Yoel Roth, who Twitter's head of safety and integrity, who stifled the Hunter Biden laptop story, who is insanely biased against us, who is now the arbiter of the arbiter of what's allowed to be posted during during crises, during uh, armed conflicts, during public health emergencies. So public health emergencies. Does the monkeypox outbreak constitute a public health emergency? If so, then Joel Roth is going to be the one saying what you can post and what you can't post. Whether you can talk about Dr. Tedros, whether you can talk about him being corrupted by the Chinese, whether you can talk about the pros and cons, the efficacy or the side effect profile of a vaccine, whether you can talk about whether you can talk about lab experiments on monkeypox viruses that look an awful lot like gain of function research, that even in the research paper published by the Wuhan Institute of Virology, there's a warning about the danger of this kind of this kind of procedure, this kind of experimentation on virus DNA and how it can be weaponized into a contagious path pathogen. Yul Roth is now in charge of what we can talk about as the public health establishment and politicians in our country and around the world are gearing up to do this all again, to do COVID all again, the lockdowns, the masks, the vaccines, the, the violation of our rights, the fear mongering. They're gearing up to use monkeypox all over again in the same way. And now Yul Roth is going to be in charge of what we're allowed to post on Twitter before it's been verified by several authoritative sources. Authoritative sources that he hasn't defined as what makes them authoritative. Now you understand who exactly Elon Musk should fire on day one when he owns Twitter. The first moment of the first day, the first email that he should send the first word that he should say is, hi, I now own Twitter. Yul Roth, you are fired. You're fired because you're a liar. You're fired because you, you stifle the truth. You censor conservatives for being conservative. You're racist towards people who you disagree with based on their politics. Yul Roth should be the first person that Elon Musk fires. And I, I, I hope Elon knows about this. I hope that he's aware of Yul Roth. I hope he's aware of who Yul Roth is and, and his history, his, his behavioral, honestly, his resume, his resume, the things that he brags about are things, reasons why he should be fired. But it's also, by the way, um, it's also, by the way, why we should not be surprised that Elon Musk has been the target of allegations of sexual misconduct. This makes perfect sense. Absolutely perfect sense. Now, I like Dormeo because really good, really nice mattresses are just crazy expensive, but I still want to sleep on a bed that feels really good and really nice. If you suffer from achy hips, back, or shoulders, then you have to try the Premium Mattress Topper by Dormeo. It's a fraction of the cost of a new mattress, but you get that new bed feeling without having to buy a new bed. Their smart body zoning helps create better support for your body while you sleep. That means no more waking up with unexpected aches and pains that you didn't have the night before. Their mattress topper has a full range of sizes from twin all the way through king. They even have RV sizes and a new split head king. It's perfect for everything from an adjustable base to a spare bed in the guest room to couches, futons, and boats even. If you can sleep on it, they probably have a mattress topper for it. 
Plus, Dormeo is known for their incredible customer service. Give them a call, message them on their website, and be amazed at how fast they respond. Right now, you can go to dormeo.com slash Liz, and you will receive 30% off your Dormeo mattress topper. That's the best offer you'll find anywhere, but you have to go to dormeo.com slash Liz, my URL. Remember, with their 10-year warranty and 100-night risk-free trial plus free shipping, it's crazy not to give Dormeo a try. Dormeo.com slash Liz. Okay, so Elon Musk has been accused of sexual misconduct, and it, I, I feel bad for the guy. This, this must be one of the most horrendous things that a man can be accused of, especially when there's indication that it's probably not true. Um, however, I expected this. This is not surprising to me at all. In fact, I tweeted last week to Elon Musk and said, okay, so first you try to acquire Twitter, and under the, under the guise, not the guise, but under the promise of restoring free speech, and what happens? The left calls you a racist. They say, oh, you grew up in South Africa, you're from South Africa. You know, there, there's a lot of racism, a lot of oppression of, of black people there, uh, a segregated society. You're a racist too. So you, 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 you embrace a policy position like free speech that sadly is now more of a Republican policy position and the left immediately accuses you of being a racist. But then Elon Musk posted that he will be voting Republican in the midterm elections. He said the Democrats have essentially, he said the Democrats have gotten too crazy. The Republicans are offering what makes sense, uh, policies that make sense for our economy. So I will be voting Republican. And he said, I think a lot of people are because they're turned off by how radical, how Marxist, how communist um, the, the left has gotten ideologically. And I said, but then you said that you're going to vote Republican. So watch out. What's going to happen is they're not only going to try to derail your Twitter deal. They're not only going to call you a racist. They're not only going to try to engage in a character assassination, but wait for, wait for the sexual assault, sexual misconduct allegations. They're going to trot out some kind of of, of pawns, some kind of woman to make this allegation. And literally the next day, a, a woman accused Elon Musk of sexual misconduct. She said she was a flight attendant on one of his planes and that he offered her, this is her allegation, he offered to give her a horse if she would, uh, well, give him sexual favors. And her allegation, she claimed that she had proof of this because Elon Musk's company paid her $250,000 to settle this. Um, and, and a couple of things here. First of all, it, it's more of a coincidence. It, it, it's, it can't be a coincidence if you look at the, at the history of how the Democrats are responding to Elon Musk, right? If you look at this idea that he's trying to restore free speech to Twitter, it would break up the big tech monopoly, which threatens not just the big tech monopoly in and of itself, but it threatens this evil trifecta of uh, big government, corrupt politicians, and big media, and big tech controlling information, and therefore controlling people's minds, therefore controlling people's votes, it breaks up this big tech thing. So so this big tech monopoly. So the left is fundamentally, existentially threatened by Elon Musk, threatening to break it up, then threatening to restore, promising to restore free speech threatens them even more because what's better than the bad information the left gives us is, is more information, good information, countering information, dissenting information. It, it sharpens what we know when there's competing information. They're very threatened by that. So they call him a racist. And then he says he's going to vote Republican. They They don't want him to be the face of, someone who used to be leftist and now thinks, oh, it's okay for me to be Republican because the left has gone nuts and the Republicans are pretty normal. Um, they don't want people to follow his lead. And so they're like, okay, we have to cancel him. We have to demonize him. We have to get rid of him. We have to destroy him. We will accuse him of sexual misconduct. It's no coincidence that this is that we've seen this unfold in the last month and a half. This is the Democrats' playbook. They're evil. They're evil, but they're very predictable. Um, so a, a couple of things. First of all, the $250,000 settlement is not an admission of guilt at all. In fact, oftentimes when executives are accused or falsely accused of things, the, the big 
the big umbrella corporation will pay to settle with the accuser because they would rather spend what's to them a piddly amount of money to make someone be quiet than to have this drag out in court to have their reputation tarnished, the executive's reputation tarnished, especially if it's not true. And so it's not an admission of guilt. And um, think about $250,000 to a billionaire that's like dropping a $20 bill. Of course, you're going to drop a $20 bill to take care of a nuisance. Why wouldn't you? The other thing is, is this wasn't paid by Elon Musk personally. Uh, It was the company. And so I've actually heard of a high-level official at a very large company who was falsely accused of sexual assault, who wanted to fight it in court, who said, I don't care about the reputation. I will not be falsely accused. And the company said, well, since this lawsuit is technically against the company, we don't care if you want to fight it. We're not going to fight it. We're just going to pay. We're going to settle this person. We understand that you say it's false. We're going to settle this so that it, it doesn't become a public thing. And the executive was infuriated, was really angry about this because he wanted to, he wanted to fight this, but it was the company's decision. This is, this is the same scenario. This was the company that paid this off. So we have no idea if Elon wanted to pay this off or didn't want to pay this off. The company, when I say the company, it's almost in quotation marks, but it, but I shouldn't, I shouldn't put it in quotation marks because when decisions, business decisions like this are made by companies, they have a responsibility not just to protect their, in this case, CEO, Elon Musk, they have a responsibility to their shareholders. How much would this have cost their company in, in totality if it were actually to have gone to some kind of arbitration, if it were to be, have become public, if it were to become a trial? How much would they have paid in, in legal fees? How much would they have paid in their CEO's time? How much would it have cost the company because of the reputational hit that the company would have ta- taken? They not only have a responsibility to... I guess, make this go away, especially when they think it's a false allegation. But they have a responsibility to their shareholders to make sure that the value of the company doesn't plummet. So none of that is an admission of guilt. It's just a nuanced, complicated thing that happens often to high-level executives because we know that high-level executives are targets of allegations of sexual misconduct. Part of the reason is because women know they can get settlements like this. They know they can get 15 minutes of fame. Sometimes they think that they can score political points if they are ideological or if those who are prompting them uh, to to bring forth allegations are ideological and they think that these allegations will serve some ideological purpose. There's a million and a half reasons why an allegation why an allegation like this might have been levied. And it doesn't mean for a second that it's true. It means that we, we, we owe whoever's making the allegation to listen to them. We should listen to all women, but we shouldn't believe all women. And we shouldn't use corporate practices like settling as any kind of indication of whether this is, this is true or this is false. Elon Musk obviously denies these, these misconduct allegations. Um, he says that this never happened. Um, and unless there's more evidence that it did, I, I look at the history and I look at the Democrats' playbook and I say, this is predictable and they're very evil, and it's going to take a lot more than this to convince me that there is and that there is anything, any substance to this allegation. But, but, this is where Twitter factors in again. I mean, think about Yul Roth is now deciding in, in times of crisis, he and this new crisis misinformation policy are deciding what information we have access to, what information is corroborated by an authoritative source. And, and that's a huge disservice, not only to our country and to the world and to our politics and our liberties, it's a huge disservice to people who are being silenced based on who they are, people who could be silenced based on who they are in the face of any sort of allegation, right? And so Elon Musk, I, I, I hope he recognizes what an, an, an existential threat 
someone like Yul Roth is to Elon's pursuit of free speech, his pursuit of a public square, a digital public square in the form of this platform, this Twitter platform. And I hope he understands that um, if you acquire Twitter and you keep someone like Yul Roth on board, that you will never fix the problem, that this is, this is someone who has to go and has to go immediately. Over on Locals on the Liz Wheeler Show community, we are going to talk about Ibram X. Kendi. He is, as you know, he is, he is uh, how to be an anti-racist. He is one of the biggest propagators of critical race theory. And he recently said he's concerned that his daughter, his daughter liked a baby doll that had white skin, blonde hair, and blue eyes. We are going to talk about that. Join us, lizwheelershow.com slash locals. If you use my promo code ACCESS, then you can get your first month free on your annual subscription. LizWheelerShow.com slash locals, promo code access. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figueroa. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.